Not a great Week 3 schedule in the NFL, but there are a couple of must-wins for teams that expect to be a part of the playoff mix in 2023. As for college football, there are several games that I'll spotlight as Week 4 is just about here. Shohei Otani had surgery on his ailing right elbow and won't pitch until 2025. Has the price tag dropped from the expected $500 million offer he may get in free agency? Plus the latest division and wildcard races as we're 10 days away from the regular season concluding. Let's get cracking as another high-octane sports podcast waits. It's all coming up, but first, this message. Jay Reels here, just passing by to send a brief reminder to please subscribe, rate, review this podcast, the Jay Reels Podcast, on wherever you listen to your podcast, whether it's on Apple, Google, Spreaker, Stitcher, Spotify, iHeartRadio, Luminary, CastBox, all of the major platforms that are out there, whichever one that you listen to, once again, just throw me a few stars, write a review, I would greatly appreciate it just to increase the visibility of this podcast with all the others that are out there, especially this one, which covers all sports in roughly one hour. Where else are you going to get that? So if you can go ahead and please do that, I would sincerely and gratefully appreciate it. And with that said, let's get it. The J Reels Podcast begins in 5, 4, 3, 2, 1. Let's get this sports podcast party started, all right? The J Reels Podcast. Why don't you wait until July 1st to make an announcement? What a disgrace. He can rack up all these numbers in October, November, and December, but what really counts is let me see this in January. Sports Rebel Without a Pause, delivering fast-paced, jam-packed sports talk like no other. Listen, I gotta call it as I see it. He is not a good player. I'm sick and tired of having to deal with the disappointment of this franchise. When does it stop? And yes, another winter that I can sleep in peace. Coming correct, directed, in full effect. Let's get it. This is the j Rose Podcast. Welcome aboard. What is happening, my good people? Greetings. How are you? How's it going? How's everybody doing out there? What is the latest and greatest? Hope everybody's doing well, feeling fantastic, in excellent spirits, as the early chill of fall is in the air here in the Northeast, and finally arrives on Saturday. Let me heat up your earbuds, headphones, or speakers as I expound on all that the sports universe has to offer, as this is the J Reels Podcast with your host, J Reels. For my first-timers, welcome aboard, and for those who have been banging with me going back to the very beginning, somewhere in the middle, or even as early as this past Monday, I welcome you guys and gals back. Not a lot happening over the last few days since we last spoke on Monday, but I'm going to get right to it. I'm starting off with the baseball. I can't get into Giants-Niners or NFL Week 3 as of yet. We'll have plenty of football to get into from now through the rest of the year, into January, the playoffs, etc. So we'll talk about the schedule and a few things that's going on throughout the league as well as college football. But now that we're down to the final 10 days of the season and we could scratch off another team in the wildcard mix to say goodbye in 2023, and that would be the San Francisco Giants. They had to go to Arizona for a two-game series, which two games they needed in the worst way. We know Arizona's ahead of them in the standings when it comes to the wildcard. And what did they do? They got swept out of Arizona and now off to L.A. where they had the first of four games at Chavez Ravine starting tonight. And you would think that their season, three games behind the Chicago Cubs in the National League for the final wildcard spot. And I think it's safe to say that they will not be heard from for the rest of this year. So that's one team that we don't have to worry about. As we get into both wildcards, we know about the AL West. We've talked about this. It feels like for the last six weeks or so, 
But the National League is starting to shape up a little bit because with the Giants out and even with the Cubs, Marlins, Reds, I'll leave the Diamondbacks out. I understand they're a game ahead of the Cubs in the standings, but they are a game and a half. And when I add it all up, the Cubs do have a game in hand, so that's going to help them at some point. But the Cubs' schedule gets tricky. They have to go to play the Rockies, or the Rockies come to Wrigley before having to go on the road next week to not only play the Braves, but then also end the year in Milwaukee where the Brewers will have the division wrapped up. But who knows? I'm sure they're going to do their damnness to try to knock the Cubs out of the postseason. So it's going to be a tricky week for the Cubs. As for the Marlins, they lost 2 out of 3 to the Mets here over the last three nights. And you would think that the Marlins would probably be a team that's going to fall by the wayside. Sandy Alcantara, who's had issues with his right arm. Who knows if you're going to see him anytime soon. But they have the Brewers coming into their building starting tomorrow for a three-game set before they close out their season next week where they have to play the Mets at City Field. And who knows? The Mets will probably play spoiler where it's usually the other way around this time of year. And then they go to Pittsburgh to close out the year, so maybe there'll be a little bit of a respite. If they're still in the mix by this time next week, who knows? Maybe those games against the Pirates will mean something. And then the Reds, who are a game back, and although they've been up and down and a little spotty, but you have to give it up for what they've done to hang in there. And we know that the division is long gone with the Brewers. I would think they'd probably wrap it up by sometime early next week, if not this weekend. But for the Reds, who lost the back two against the Twins over the last couple of days, they'll have the Pirates coming into their building. And then next week, they'll have to go on the road to close out their season, where they will take them to Cleveland for two and then St. Louis. Not a daunting schedule, to say the least. You would think that they'll be hanging around by this time next week. Stranger things have happened, as we know. And maybe Terry Francona and the Guardians will rally the troops one more time to see if they could throw a little upset in the... Reds plans as far as making it into October, but that's what you have there in the National League. We have nothing with the divisions as we know, and with the American League, we have that battle in the AL West, which is going to come down to the wire, and it's going to start tomorrow night with Seattle and Texas, as it is right now, and I'll start with the wild card first, because Toronto's played well, they've won five in a row, they won the first two games at Yankee Stadium, where they'll conclude their series tonight, and then the Blue Jays, the rest of the way have to go to Tampa, followed by the Yankees and Rays again next week, both in their building. So it's all right in front of them. You would think Seattle and Texas will knock each other off along the way as far as not only just the division, but even with the wild card. And that's going to be a race to the bitter end. And with Toronto in the mix, it does throw a little spice into this race because for argument's sake, if Toronto was a couple of games back or on the periphery, it'd be a scenario where... Either Seattle, Texas, and even Houston, you got to throw them in, will be fighting not only for the division, but who's going to get the 5-6 and six seed in the American League wildcard race. Where now, with Toronto squarely in the middle, either one of those two teams could knock each other out unless Toronto just goes into a free fall here over the next 10 days. So for Seattle and Texas, who have played well here over the last couple of days, the Mariners beating up on the Oakland A's and then the Rangers doing the same to the Boston Red Sox, where the Astros continue to flail and flounder at home. They did win last night, but lost 2 out of 3 to the Orioles in their building, and on Monday in crushing fashion by Cedric Mullins, as the Orioles look to see, and have pretty much kept themselves at bay in the 
AL East to the point where no harm, no foul since the weekend after Tampa and Baltimore played one another. So you have a scenario where they still have that two and a half game lead, three in the loss column when it comes to the Orioles and Rays. But as far as the scenario in the AL West, you have the Astros who are currently a half game ahead. All three teams have 68 losses and the Rangers and Mariners have a game in hand because remember, they have the odd number, or I should say they have the even number game. They have 10 games left where the Astros have nine. So for Houston, 85 and 68. Texas, Seattle, 84 and 68. And your guess is as good as mine. The Astros, I can't trust at home, although the rest of the way for Houston has them going on the road to play in Seattle to wrap up. But Houston has Kansas City coming into their building. And remember, Kansas City won two out of three in Kansas City there last week. So who knows what's going to happen there. But you do have Houston who will go on the road to close out at Seattle and at Arizona. And Arizona, they may need those games depending on what Miami, Cincinnati, Chicago, the Cubs, and what they do. So you would think that it's going to go down to the wire with the Astros. And then with Seattle, of course, you know that they have starting tomorrow where the Rangers will they'll have to go to Texas because they close out the season at home. So Texas for Seattle. And then next week, the middle series will be Houston, followed by the Rangers. And then the Rangers will have Seattle. They go to Anaheim and then wrap up with the four games in Seattle to close out the year. And how I look at it, I would think Toronto is probably going to get one of those spots. It's a matter of Seattle or Texas. And right now, I couldn't even tell you because they have those seven games against one another. We know Texas's pitching is right now not 100% knowing that Scherzer is not going to be there and who knows how efficient and effective the starting rotation is going to be. And you can say the same for the Mariners, but you could trust them a little bit more with the George Kirby's, the Logan Gilbert's, Obviously, Luis Castillo, the lineup, we know the Rangers are a lot better. But this is what it comes down to. These final 10 games, who may get that last wild card spot or who may overtake the division, depending on what the Astros do here. And this is why we watch. This is why we follow. I would think Toronto's going to get in there. And one of those three teams are going to be on the outside looking in. And you would think it would favor the Astros, but they haven't been trustworthy as far as not only playing at home, but really being very streaky up and down. And Seattle and Texas, they're going to duke it out to see who goes into the postseason. And to go back to the National League, as far as the wild card goes, Arizona, their schedule, very odd when you think about They close out their final nine games, all against American League opponents. They actually come to the Bronx this weekend to play the Yankees for three, before going to Chicago to play the White Sox, and then wrapping up at home against Houston. So a schedule that should be favorable Who knows what the Yankees, they're hot and cold up and down. They're actually at 500 when you think about it. And they won't see Garrett Cole, who will, I believe, pitches tonight against Toronto. So maybe they could continue to go on this stretch where they've just been very good. And as I talked about on Monday, July and August, when they struggled, the latter part of that month, even into August, and you wondered whether or not with their great start that they were going to fall apart, and they haven't. So knowing that they close out against teams that are average or who may not even need the games, and I get it, they go play the Astros in their building, and the Astros are better on the road, but they're also Jekyll and Hyde. So they do have a relatively easy schedule. 
Same for the Marlins, same for the Cubs. And then to wrap it all up, even the Reds for that matter, well, the Cubs, as we talked about, Braves and Brewers next week, so not so easy. And with the Rockies this weekend. But the Reds also have a relatively easy schedule. I feel Arizona will definitely get the fifth or sixth slot, depending on who gets hot here at this moment. It's all a matter of who gets that final spot. Is it going to be Cincinnati? Is it going to be Miami? Or even the Cubs for that matter. I think the Cubs, as well as they played this year, and although they've had their bumps and bruises along the way this month, I think the Braves and the Brewers will probably do whatever it takes to stick it to them. And I understand that they're going to align their rotation and you're not going to see the key starters, I would think, especially in that Brewers series next weekend. But I think the Cubs may fall short. I think it's going to be between the Marlins and Reds as to who gets that final spot. And I understand that's a bit of a crapshoot because the Cubs... Although they don't have that same pedigree that we saw in the middle of the last decade when they won a World Series and made it to the playoffs in what, I believe four of those five years during that stretch. And the Marlins, granted that they did make it to the postseason, the year of the pandemic, but we know the Marlins are not a team that is going to fight for a playoff spot, although they have this year, and give them credit, and the same for the Reds. But for some reason, I think the Cubs may fall short here based on who they play next week where both the Marlins and Reds, they have an easy schedule. We shall see. I'm sure Major League Baseball, if you gave them truth serum, they're going to want the Cubs in the postseason. Because as it is right now, you're not going to have the Yankees. You're not going to have the Mets. You're not going to have the Padres. Not to say that the Padres are world beaters or a team that is there year in and year out, but they did make it to an NLCS last year, and we know the talent on their roster, but they haven't been able to put it together. There's no Cardinals. You're not going to see them this year. There's no Red Sox. So all the teams that have been mainstays throughout the course of the last, we'll say, five to seven years, and not that the Mets have been a mainstay, but again, just like the Padres made it to the playoffs, had big aspirations this year, and they went belly up. But for those teams to not be a part of it, and I'm sure that if the Cubs get in, even if they get swept in the wild card round, they'll still at least represent baseball and that part of the country and their Cub fans everywhere to at least have the attention span for the sports fan to say, oh, the Cubs are there? Maybe I'll watch this game tonight. Nobody's going to run to the set to watch the Marlins or the Reds. And as it is, they're not going to watch the Diamondbacks either. They may watch the Phillies. But that's the National League there on a whole, and even the Brewers for that matter. So, this is it. If the Cubs could somehow, some way, pull this off to where they have a good next week to 10 days and make it into October, even if it is going to be a short stay, at least they'll have that baseball to maybe have them go in, pull off an upset, and maybe get to a division series to where they can attract and get people to watch their games, because we all know it's NFL season, everybody's rallied around the football, even college football, and nobody cares about what's going to happen on the diamond in the hunt for Red October. And then lastly, I have to bring up Shohei Otani, because he had the Tommy John surgery that a lot of people thought he was going to get, or maybe they were going to wait and see as we got past the regular season and into the playoffs, but for Otani... For him to get his elbow cleaned up now was a smart thing. And for them to put out that he's not going to pitch next year, that he's going to be a DH 
and bat for 2024, and he'll be starting as early as 2025. And the one thing I thought about, and we've talked about this going back to the baseball preview on March 30th, and even as recently as earlier this month, to where Otani, with this injury, not knowing the extent of it, if it was partial, if it was just going to need some rest, whatever, but knowing that he's has the surgery, and now he's going to be on the mend, is he still worth that $500 million price tag? And if you ask me, absolutely not. Because Otani, although he's going to be ready come spring training in about, what, 17 months from now? But it doesn't automatically guarantee that he's going to be 100% across the board. And here's a couple of examples just to explain. Walker Bueller, LA Dodgers, I believe he blew out his elbow May of last year. Has there been any idea or any notion that he's going to be back in the rotation come October? Or any word that maybe he could come out of the bullpen? Now, of course, the Dodgers realize that he has his whole future ahead of him. He is young. He's got to be, what, 26, 27 years of age off the top of my head? And he's a guy that the Dodgers are going to bank on starting next year moving forward as probably the number one starter, the ace of their staff. But still, it's taken him this long to even be brought up in a conversation, let alone him throwing off a mound, long tossing, etc. And then you have Zach Wheeler. When he blew out his elbow with the Mets in 2014, he didn't see a mound till not one, not 18 months, two years later. And with Otani, I get it. It's going to be around that 17, 18 month mark when he's going to be on a mound spring training for whomever his next team's going to be, because I don't think it's going to be the Angels, based on his recent behavior, cleaning out his locker, not being with the team, and pretty much saying, sayonara guys, I'll see you along the way, I'm sure, on another team, whether it's in Arizona during spring training next year, or when he happens to cross paths, if he's going to be in a market or a team, spring training next year, where it's going to be in Florida, and chances are it's not going to be the case, he's probably going to pick a team out west, you would think. But the point of the matter is, is that him as an angel is over and done with. Going back to Zach Wheeler two years, as well as Walker Bueller, there's no guarantee that this guy's going to be ready come 2025 opening day. And yes, there are examples of pitchers that have come back as recent as Justin Verlander. When he blew out his elbow, what, July 2020? And then came back at the beginning of last year and all he did was go 18-4 with a 1.75 ERA. And I believe he won the Cy Young last year based on those numbers off the top of my head. I forgot. But also won a World Series in the process. So you also have that that you can look forward to if you're a fan of Otani or whichever team he's going to sign. But if you ask me, if he's worth $500 million, no. If he's even worth the $436 million that Mike Trout signed for with the Angels way back when, I don't think he's even worth that right now. Because if you can guarantee me that he's going to be ready 2025, and I get it for all intents and purposes, we think that's going to be the case. But we don't know that. We don't know that going into that training camp or that spring training that he may need to slowly but surely work his way in that where he may not even be able to pitch until May. Or even June for that matter. And you mean to tell me you're going to shell out $500 million if you're an owner 
to wait until that summer or sometime in the first couple of months of 2025 when you are going to be banking on him towing the rubber to start off your season the year after next? I'm not doing it. I'll give him 350, maybe even 400. I wouldn't give him more than that. And you know there's going to be an owner out there that's going to do so. And we understand there's only a handful of owners that could do that. Whether you're in San Francisco, Seattle, San Diego, LA, the Dodgers. I know Steve Cohen has all the money, but I don't think he's going to come east. And I don't even think they're going to go in that direction as far as trying to procure a player of that stature, of that ilk, and pay him all that money considering what they did here over the last few months of the season trading off all these players and trying to get young players, which is the right thing, if you ask me, and I've said that before. But with Otani, I would not give him that money. And no offense to him, I'm sure he's a good guy, I'm sure he means well, but based on what we've seen here from afar, because maybe he got the blessing from the organization to say, I'm shutting it down, I'm going to be away from the team, I don't know how many other players would do that, I don't know if there's another superstar that would say, See ya. Come February, we'll reconnect then at that time. And in his case, he's a free agent, so it's not as if he's going to even come back. But that's what you have with Otani, and I would not pay him nowhere near $500 million, not even the $436 million. All right, you want to say, we start at three fifty, and I'm going as high as four? All right. Not only that, what is the length of this contract? Because by the time he pitches again, I believe he'll be 31 years of age. So what are you going to give him? Eight years, and six of that is going to be with him pitching, and that's no guarantee he's going to pitch for those six years. I tell you, it's dicey, very dicey, and I would certainly proceed with caution if I'm any owner. I don't care if I'm desperate for a star. I don't care if the organization is desperate for attention, for a facelift, regardless. That is one contract that you can't slide across the table to their agents or his agents and say, Go ahead and sign. Here's a blank check. Can't do it. So that's what you have with the baseball. Now as I put on my helmet and shoulder pads to get into the NFL and college, we'll do this on a back-to-back scenario. And on Monday, I talked about the surprising 2-0 teams and 0-2 teams. And I think the theme for this week, there are a couple of games. The schedule is bad. Let's start there. But there are a couple of games that you could circle to say it's do or die for these teams if they have any chance of making it to the postseason come January. The first game, you're going to have to wait till Monday night at 8-15 where the Rams will go to Cincinnati. And the Rams, who have played well here over the first two games, they split against their division opponents, Seattle and San Francisco. Now they're going to come east. The Bengals, we know that they are a mess at this Juncture, only two games in, and before you could say, well, they were 0-2 last year, and look how far they got, well, you have to wonder about the quarterback with that calf injury, and it's interesting, and nobody's really talked about this, and I'm surely not trying to look into a crystal ball by any stretch of the imagination, but if he has a serious calf injury, and it's going to hobble him for the rest of the year, you would only hope, and again, this isn't an omen, this isn't a sign, this is just or even a premonition. This is just forecasting the possibility and not the inevitability. But there was a quarterback that went down with a 
brutal injury based on a calf injury that he suffered during preseason. And we know that's Aaron Rodgers. And not to say that Joe Burrow's going to have the same fate, but you have to wonder whether or not his mobility, how he's going to protect that leg, and not only that, all it takes is one plant and one defender to land on him a certain way or tackle him a certain way for that thing to pop. And we saw that there with Kevin Durant when he was with Golden State where he had that calf injury in the early part of that postseason and then came back for Game 5 against Toronto, scored 11 points in the first quarter, but his last possession or the last time he was on that court in Toronto, he popped his Achilles. And the rest is history. So by any means, I'm not trying to say it's going to happen and I hope it doesn't happen. But calf injury, Aaron Rodgers just 10 days ago, and season on the line and Aaron Donald's coming into your building just keep that in mind but the Bengals an enormous game for them as they try to snap this early funk that they've gone on here the first two weeks of the season the other big game I'm looking at here is the Patriots and Jets and I understand Zach Wilson people want to get on him the three interceptions it wasn't all his fault there the other day but if you talk about an enormous game for the Jets to get this piano off their back. And not to say that if they win this game, even if they win 3-2, to two, that everything's going to be rosy, that, oh, we finally broke the hex, or the jinx against Belichick, etc. No, that is not the case. But because this game is in their building, and it's a winnable game against a team that, let's face it, they are, if not bad, they are on the same level as the Pittsburgh Steelers. And I have to say right now, the Steelers are worse. But at least the Steelers have playmakers. Who do the Patriots have? The Patriots, you know, they're going to dink and dunk your way all over the field. They're not a team that's going to stretch the field. They don't have the talent. It's not as if Mac Jones is going to try to throw 20-yard inseam routes down the field, etc. But if the Jets are going to have any semblance of a season, early on at least, because they have Kansas City coming into their building on a Sunday night the following week, they must win this game. And this is going to be imperative for their psyche. This is going to be imperative for that coach. And I understand Zach Wilson, he's going to have to manage this game as best as he possibly can. Because you know Belichick's going to get in his head. The old saying, I see ghosts out there with Sam Donald. Who knows with Zach Wilson if he's going to even see anything close to what Sam Donald saw. Because if that's going to be the case, it's going to be a long afternoon at MetLife there come Sunday. And then the Patriots also, they want to get a win to at least get off their schneid at 0-2, losing the first two games in their building. Another game is the Chargers going to Minnesota, two 0-2 teams, where the Chargers can't seem to get out of their own way, and they lose bad game after bad game after bad game. And the Vikings, already taking a step back from their 13-win season last year. So one of these two teams, if they even have any visions of getting into the dance come the early part of next year, this is a must-win for them. And we can talk about other 0-2 teams, whether it's Denver, especially with the marriage between Russell Wilson, Sean Payton. I get it. That's also a game where the Bronco fan is going to hope that they could go into Miami, who is 2-0 with two road wins under their belt, that they're going to have to really pull off a big upset in order for them to come back to the Mile High City with a win in their back pocket. 
You also have another Monday night game, which doesn't seem sexy off the bat, but there are two 2-0 teams. Philadelphia going to Tampa Bay. That's the early game come Monday night. As I mentioned, Rams-Bengals are the nightcap. And besides that, I know there are a couple other games that when you look at, you're like, eh, but then you say, wait a minute, maybe that's not too bad of a game when you see Buffalo going to Washington where the Commanders are 2-0. Or Atlanta going to Detroit, and I know Detroit lost a brutal game after they were down by 10 to tie the game before losing in overtime to Seattle. But Atlanta's 2-0, so that's a game where it's like, eh, not bad. New Orleans 2-0 going to Green Bay. Green Bay, although losing last week, but you wonder with their first game coming into their building where the Packers are going to see how Jordan Love and company get off at home against a Saint team that's played well defensively and won there on Monday night. So, I know the cupboard isn't barren. I know that the schedule, to me, isn't a great week. Let's call it as we see it. The 425 afternoon or America's Game of the Week, Dallas at Arizona. Maybe Arizona will pull off an upset because they've been competitive and should have won the game there the other day, but the Giants were able to come from behind there, down by 21 to win out in the desert. The game tonight, I do not love. Giants at San Francisco. The Giants have four starters out, including Saquon Barkley. But watch the Giants be in the game in the fourth quarter. Wouldn't that be something? But the Niners, their first home game. So I'm sure they're chomping at the bit to be in front of their home crowd after two very good games on the road. But other than that, there's not a lot of games. Houston at Jacksonville. Indianapolis at Baltimore. Carolina at Seattle. Chicago, Kansas City. The Sunday night games, Pittsburgh at Las Vegas. And that game the other night, real quick. That Steeler game was a game that reminded me of watching the Yankees and Red Sox on an ESPN Sunday night game that took four hours and 15 minutes and it was a nine-inning game. So many stoppages, so many injuries, just, oh, the game was forever. The game started at what, 8.15 and it ended at 11.48 or somewhere close to that. I believe looking at my... Clock on the cable box said 11.48. The game was interminable. And I know you had the injury there with Nick Chubb, which prayers go out to him. He's going to be done for the year. And if Chubb was in the game, the Seals had no shot to win that game. He was carving up that steal of defense like a hot knife through butter. And as it was, with Chubb out and Deshaun Watson being ineffective, and that's another thing too, the Brown fan... They have to be scratching their heads wondering whether or not Watson is going to be the guy to lead them to the promised land. And I'm not saying that for this year, but just throughout the course of these next four years that he's going to be under contract. Watson is a guy who, to me, for what I've seen so far, and people can say, well, Jay Reels, he hasn't really played. He had the six games last year, and he's only played two games this year. All right, you want to give him that? Fine. But he's had a whole training camp to get the offense absorbed and to have it deciphered in his brain. And I understand that this is an offense that's more designed for the run, to have guys like Nick Chubb go in there and run roughshod over defenses and have Watson make plays, but not to be the guy that's going to throw 30, 35, 40 times a game to win week in and week out. But Watson hasn't shown you anything close to what he was back in Houston where he was a very good quarterback, not a top five, maybe cracking the top 10, but he was a guy that led his team to postseasons, a guy that, Of course, still has the ability, but for whatever the reason, has not been able to piecemeal it together to show any semblance of what he was in Houston here in Cleveland. 
I don't know if it's because the pressure's on them with the contract or the city knowing that they're star for a championship. Who knows what's between his ears? We know he, he was a winner in college and we know he has that ability to play above average or maybe even be elite. But here in Cleveland, over these first eight games, he has been a far cry from what we've seen him in a Texan uniform, at least taking his team to postseasons, to divisional rounds, etc. And the Steelers, their offense is from hunger. So, two defensive touchdowns, they may not even get that throughout the rest of this year. But they go into the desert, Vegas, Garoppolo, who knows? But the Steelers, they have to get their act together on offense. And yes, Fire Canada, please do so. He is not the answer there as the offensive coordinator. By far. Bring back Todd Haley. I yearn for the days of Todd Haley. Jeez. But that's what you have this coming week here in the NFL. I understand you have a few games that you can look at, like I mentioned, but I don't think overall, eh. I'm not going to get crazy about Buffalo and Washington unless Washington is in the game there third and fourth quarters. Or Atlanta, Detroit. Or New Orleans, Green Bay. You know, these games, I'm not going to run to the set to be like, hey, what's happening there? Not me. Not this guy. But the college, as I segue to that, the college schedule looks very good this week. Because you have games that you could chew on throughout the course of the day. You have... Florida State going to Clemson. That's going to be a big game for the Seminoles. Now, Clemson, we understand they are not anything close to what they were a few years back, that championship medal that they had going back to the days of Deshaun Watson or even Trevor Lawrence for that matter. And having that loss to Duke, let's see in their building if they're going to be able to pull off the upset cart, which I'm sure the Seminoles are going to be well aware. This is a huge game for Florida State to see what they could do And the Tigers, they're going to be up for the challenge to know that if they were to be able to upset the Seminoles in their building, that that could go a long way. Not to say they're going to be part of the discussion when it comes to the college football playoff, but for Florida State, this is a huge game for that school and for their program. Then at 3.30 is a game that a lot of people are going to be focused in on, Colorado at Oregon. And I understand with what happened there over the weekend against Colorado State, then you had the death threats against a Colorado State player where you hit Travis Hunter there on the sideline and even Dion came out and said, come on guys, can we be better than that? And put the onus on him saying that I received death threats. These kids, they don't deserve that. Can we lay off these kids? And he did a great job in doing that. But now the Buffaloes go into the deep end of the pool. And I'm not trying to say Oregon is the Nebraska team of the 90s or the once upon a time Notre Dame teams or even Alabama for that matter. No, but Oregon is a stout and up-to-the-task opponent. And they're going to have to go to the Pacific Northwest, followed by a game against USC in their building. This is going to be, obviously, Dion's biggest game. And we're going to find out once and for all if this team is for real. Now, if they leave that game losing a 41-35 type game or a one-score game where it was tooth and nail and Colorado showed some metal and toughness, etc., but ended up losing, you could live with that. If Oregon blows their doors over Colorado, I'm not going to say the first three weeks they were frauds or whatever, but it's going to smell that way. And I get it, TCU was the runner-up last year, 
And Nebraska is a far cry from Nebraska as well. And Colorado State, they were up for the challenge as an in-state rival. But now the competition gets stiff. So, to me, that is the game. And I understand you have Ole Miss-Alabama, which is in that same time slot, which a lot of people are going to zero in on because of the quarterback change. Now that Nick Saban's going to go back to Jalen Milrow. And it seems to be just... I don't want to say that there's confusion down in Tuscaloosa, but... Nick Saban's trying to push the right button to see whether or not he could get his team on track knowing that they have not played well here to start off their season even at 2-1. And And we'll see how that shakes down there over the course of that afternoon. And then you have Oregon State, Washington State, which is a very good game. You have, of course, Ohio State and Notre Dame is your highlight game that night. Texas at Baylor. Let's see if Baylor could pull off an upset there. So you have a lot of interesting games there come Saturday, and they're spread out throughout the course of the day. I understand the 3.30 window with Oregon and Colorado, as well as Ole Miss and Alabama. I'm sure a lot of people are going to want to watch Colorado to see how they do and how they play against that type of opponent, where Alabama, you would think they would take care of business against Ole Miss, but we know Ole Miss is ranked, so who knows? Ole Miss could really take a leap in the rankings with a win at Alabama here this coming Saturday. So a lot of intrigue here as we get to close out the month of September as October is on the horizon. Now, I understand we still got to go through next week, but this is where the college football season will start to turn a little bit, and you're going to have some lulls here as we get into October, but this is a very early season test for a lot of these teams, and looking forward to see how this all unfolds, and of course, looking forward to unpacking this all on Monday when I reconnect with you guys and gals at that time. Other than that, my good people, that is all I have. Nothing going on in the NBA, NHL. We talked about that the other day with Mike Babcock and the Columbus Blue Jacket scenario, which was bizarre to say the least. But exhibition games are forthcoming there on the ice. NBA training camp is not going to start until the latter part of the month, really even into October because the season starts on October the 24th with that double dip, Lakers at Denver, Phoenix, Golden State. And the Ryder Cup is not until next week. That's technically not a major as we know, but that's U.S. versus the Europeans in golf, which is taking place in Rome. That is starting next Friday, so I'll preview that a little bit next Thursday. But that's all I have, people. Another episode in the books. Thank you so much for passing by. Thank you so much for carving out. A few precious minutes out of your day to listen to what it is that I have to say about what goes on in the world of sports. If you haven't done so, like I mentioned at the top, please subscribe, rate, review, throw me a few stars, write a review. That's going to increase the visibility of the podcast. You know the drill. Wherever you get your podcast, if you could do that, I would greatly appreciate it. And if you want to hit me up with a question, comment, criticism, even if you want, I'm open to it. Or a suggestion, you could do so at the following. My YouTube channel, at J Reels. Instagram, TikTok, Facebook, the J Reels Podcast. Twitter or X. J Reels one just a number or the old fashioned way the J Reels podcast at gmail.com please send whatever you want to send I'll be more than happy to follow up with you guys and gals because whether you do or do not know this is what I love to talk about people it's in the blood it's in the DNA as I like to say talking sports since birth with nothing but fire passion fury with my thoughts opinions feelings analysis critiques praise on anything and everything That happens on the world of the diamond, ice, gridiron, hardwood, golf course, racetrack, tennis court, boxing ring, octagon, you name it. From my lips to your ears, from my heart to your soul, from where I am to wherever you are, 
The J Reels Podcast always comes correct, direct, and in full effect. From the South Bronx to South Beach to South Central to South Pacific and all points beyond, peace, love, and God bless everybody. And until next time on the J Reels Podcast, on the flip, baby. <laughs>